Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are reviewing a book by Cal Newport called So Good They Can't Ignore You, Why Skills Trump Passion in the Quest for the Work You Love. Mate, I don't like to admit it, but this is a bloody good book. Hmm. I don't like to admit it because it's all about working hard. <laughs> but, Man, you're in a, in a little bit of denial. <laughs> I'm in a lot After of denial. After Millionaire Fastlane, <laughs> Pamela Slim. Mate, and he sort of hangs shit on people like uh, MJ, Demo- oh, not MJ, but Pamela Slim and some other people who are, you know, anyway, we'll get into that. Yep. But mate, it starts off with a story about this dude who, I don't know, he's like a corporate worker, this guy named Thomas. He thought his passion was to, you know, find the meaning of life and he decided to become a monk, move to a monastery. He was like, yeah, this is exactly what I love, just walking around all day in nature and you know, mm. meditating and all this stuff. Yeah, it was his passion. So he yeah. had this corp- corporate job and he really didn't like his day-to-day work there. So he thought, you know, he, he listened to the people who say, you got to follow your passion in life. Once you find it, you got to let it lead you to where you need to go. Yeah. So yeah, he finally ended up at this monastery. Yeah, and uh, mate, the first couple of days, couple of weeks, he was loving it, man. Every single day doing exactly what he loved, doing his passion. Yeah, and then it <laughs> didn't end out. So. <laughs> Eventually, he was like, got sick of it. That's all he didn't, you couldn't make any money off it. He obviously. couldn't make any money. He was living in a monastery. He couldn't work out these koans mm. or any of this sort of stuff. And he thought, you know what? Maybe this isn't my passion. Maybe mm. I shouldn't be doing this. I yeah. fucked up. And in a nutshell, that's what the book is all about. It's why you should go and get uh, mastery and get real skills before you go and find your passion. Yeah, I love it. And so the big question that Cal was sort of asking is, you know, why do some people end up loving what they do while so many others fail to find this? Because he spoke to, you know, as you say, all these things, you know, find your passion, follow your passion, do work you love, um, but he wanted to work out, you know, how come it doesn't work for most people, but some people really do. Exactly. So the rule, the book goes into four rules. Yep. And the first rule of the book is, Rule number one, don't follow your passion. Basically, he says that things like follow your dreams, follow your passion. Life is for living. Don't settle. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, keep working. Passion is the engine of life. The most valuable lesson you can do is to find your purpose. Mm. You know, do what you love. The money will take care of itself, of itself all this other stuff. And he's yeah. like, that's like the, the standard sort of, you know, standard advice. Dogma. Yeah. And most of it's wrong. Most and of it's... And not even wrong, dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I'd agree. It, he says it's crock of shit, and he even has, has a dig at uh, Steve Jobs at his Stanford yeah. commencement speech, which I previously thought was amazing. Yeah. But after reading this, you know, you can see the flaws <laughs> in it. But basically, yeah. he says you've got to find what you love. The only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and yeah. don't settle. Man, it sounds like great advice, doesn't it? Mm. But the only thing is, he says, Steve Jobs didn't follow this advice when he was young. Exactly. He said that it probably, you know, Steve Jobs, he was a bit of a hippie, loved yoga. If he followed his own advice, mm. he'd probably be teaching yoga four times a week to three students a week. Yep. Um, and he'd probably be just living on rice and beans and that's that and he wouldn't have changed the world. Yeah, so he didn't include this part of the story. When he was in his early 20s, he was into Eastern mysticism, yep. taking magic mushrooms <laughs> in India and yep. doing all this kind of stuff. So if he stayed on this path of passion about mushrooms, yep. he would have ended up a Fruit Loop and not who we know him as today. Yeah, exactly. And so he says that whilst he says, you know, follow your passion, don't settle, that's not actually what Jobs did. Yep. And so this passion hypothesis... There's a few issues with it. First things first is passion is rare. Mm. So, you know, it's there's this idea that everybody's got this passion inside them laying dormant that they just need to keep looking and keep searching and eventually they'll just unlock it and realize this is my passion. Yeah. But that's just not how, not how the world works. So, he references a study here in Canada which surveyed 539 students about what their passions were. 
And he found that the top five were dance, hockey, skiing, reading, and swimming. So Mm -hmm. although these things are dear to their hearts and they really care about these things, it really doesn't offer much in terms of choosing a job. So less than 4% of the jobs have any relation to work or education. So pretty much the things in, in terms of a Venn diagram, a lot of our passions out there can't really be monetized in yeah. in a lot of ways. Exactly. And he says that a lot of things that you think are your passion probably aren't actually your passion if you uh, if you give it a bit of a try, like old Thomas who went to the Buddhist monastery. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he says that compelling careers often have complex origins that reject the simple idea that all you need to do is follow your passion. That's it. So the, the second problem with the passion or the second conclusion he's got here is passion takes time. Yeah, he says that it's more of a... It's not so much that you instantly find your passion. It's more of a thing that you do something... You get better at it and passion develops over time rather than just noticing it and there it is. Yep. And here he has another study where I think he surveyed a bunch of nurses where they tried to find out how much they're enjoying their job. And the biggest predictor of enjoyment from the job was how long they've actually been in it. So the ones who've been in the job longer and had enough time to develop some skills and have some kind of competence, then they were actually more passionate than the entry-level people. Nice. He says there's three sort of levels. The basic level is a job, the next level is a career, and the third level is a calling. So Mm -hmm. he says that you've got to work your way up those levels, whereas most people just want to skip straight to the calling without going through the job and the career first. Yeah. It's a bit like you, mate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit like all of us. (laughs) Sorry for having a dig mate. Oh, mate, I deserved. (laughs) Issue number three is passion is a side effect of mastery. And so that's what he was saying, that the better you get at it, the more you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. So he references Dan Pink's awesome book here, where to get passionate or to really get satisfaction or enjoyment from a job, you need autonomy, you need to be competent, and you need to, it needs to be related to some kind of purpose or calling. Yeah. And that's what, so he's saying that autonomy is you need that control over your day. Uh, you need competence, so you need to feel that you're good at what you're doing and then you need that connection to other people. Yeah, and the only way to get all these three, he's saying, is you need to get put in effort and get good yep. at what you're doing yeah, in exactly. order to get these three. And what we sort of talked about was that passion, um, this passion hypothesis, he says that it's not just bad advice, he says it could be actually dangerous. Yeah. Because the dangerous part is where you want to quit your job, follow your passion, you end up with no money, no skills, no abilities, no connections, just fucking sit on your couch. And man, in the end, it really leads to reactivity. It, yes. People just sit on their ass and just think the world's going to reveal this awesome passion for him. And I'm going to go a bit off quote and reference another book. In A Man's Search for Meaning, I think there's a quote, something like, it's not, it's not the world who asks you, what's that quote? I don't know. I don't know where you're going with this one, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not he who is asked for his passion. Anyway, the, yeah. the, the whole crux of the quote is: it's up to you to go and find your passion. It's not up to the world to show, reveal <laughs> nice. to you what it is. Nice, we got there, mate. So, is this it? Telling someone to just follow their passion is not an act of innocent optimism, but potentially the foundation for a career riddled with confusion and angst. And so, for most people, follow your passion is bad advice. Mm. Mate, rule number two: be so good that they can't ignore you. And he says this is highlighting the importance of skill. Yep. And there's two different ways you can approach it. There's the craftsman mindset and the passion mindset. So the craftsman mindset is based on the idea that focusing on the world, what, can, what you can offer the world. Focusing, yes. Focusing, focusing on what you, can, on offer what you can offer the world. Yeah, nice. And, and then yeah. the passion mindset, on the other hand, is focusing on what the world can offer you. So the yes. passion at the crux of it is more of a selfish kind of attitude. Yeah, I love it. 
And so it comes from um, the book title, comes from Steve Martin. He was asked, you know, how do you break through in a tough industry like comedy or acting? And he says, the only way to do it is to be so good that they can't ignore you. Yep. And that's a craftsman mindset of you have to develop yourself. You have to get some fucking sick skills and mm-hmm. you have to really grow, really develop, really improve yourself and get to the point where you're so good that the people who are meant to pick you, whether that's you know a boss or whether that's a publisher or whether that's a, someone hiring you, a producer or whatever, hmm. you get so good that they can't possibly say, no, we don't want you. That's it. Then on the other hand, if you've got the wrong kind of mindset, when you focus on what the world can offer you, it makes you hyper aware of all the things you don't yeah. like, You know what yeah. the world's not giving you. Yeah. If you expect the perfect job, you're always going to be looking for the flaws, essentially. Hmm. And this is essentially true for all entry-level positions, he says, which by definition aren't going to be filled with challenging projects and yeah. autonomy because these things these things come later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the way that we need to get it is by developing this career capital. So he says that there's three traits that define great work. So we've got creativity, impact, and control. Mm. And because these three things in a job are very rare and very valuable... In order to get them, we need to have something rare and valuable to trade, essentially. So we need to develop our own rare and valuable skills by building our career capital. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, if you want a great job, you need rare and valuable and scarce skills, Yeah, using, I guess, the terms of Seth Godin there. And you're not going to get that at the start of your career, as, as I was briefly saying. At the very start of your career, when you're a graduate entering some kind of workforce, you might think you're unreal and amazing and you, you're about to go and change the world. But unfortunately, at the yeah. very start, without the skills, you're more likely yeah. to be asked to go and change the water cooler <laughs> or go Very and get true. the coffees like yep. a little bitch <laughs> before you can go out there and start doing yeah. some cool shit. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mate, so this is where you hang shit on um, Pamela Slim, one of our previous uh, interview guests, saying that c- there's this big courage culture, that the only thing stopping you from getting what you want is courage. So you need to build up your courage. You need to build your backbone. You need to strengthen yourself and, and go after what you want. But mm. he says that that's... Also bullshit. Yeah, and also dangerous. <laughs> and also dangerous. Yeah. It yeah. leads to some kind of people going to, you know, a Tony Robbins event <laughs> and then building the up the courage all of a sudden to quit their job. <laughs> Actually, hang on. I think that's good advice. <laughs> Mate, so as a quick summary of that, of that rule, um, number one, the traits that define great work of rare and valuable. That means you need rare and valuable skills in return. You need to offer career capital. And so the way to get career capital is to have the craftsman mindset rather than the passion mindset. Yeah. Now, the only thing he says is that there's three instances where the craftsman mindset does not apply, where you should or where you should um, not hmm. apply this craftsman mindset. So the first one is if the job presents few opportunities to distinguish yourself by developing rare and valuable skills. Yeah, and obviously you need those rare and valuable skills, so if you can't get it, then that's a bad job. Yeah, if you're at Macca's, you're not developing yeah. anything that's scarce, so then yeah. you can get rid of that. The second one is job. the job focuses on something you think is useless or even bad for the world. Yeah, so you know, I'll be working at a, uh, a company that's digging up the coral reefs and... Mm coal and adding 1% emissions. That's right. Number three, it was the job forces you to work with people you dislike. Yeah. So if people are, if people are fucking annoying. You're, bunch, you're working with a bunch of tosses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're probably going to struggle to stick around long enough. Yeah. So becoming a craftsman. So he says that there's sort of two things in there. You need this discomfort and strain to become a craftsman and you need instant feedback. Mm. And he talks about here deliberate practice, which is the Anders Ericsson um, 
deliberate practice that popularized by Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hours rule. Yep. So, and not all 10,000 hours are created equal. And this yeah. is where the, the deliberate practice idea comes in. Yeah. And Cal has the example here where he compares himself to another dude called Jordan Tice, who's one of the best guitarists in the world. Yeah. And Cal Newport also used to play guitar and probably practiced at least 10,000 hours growing yeah. up. But the difference between them two, Jordan Tice, every time he strummed the guitar and missed a note, he'd stop, go back, and then figure out where he went wrong and yeah. had this deliberate practice to get better. It was yeah. Cal Newport, he was just you know, in his room, naked, strumming the guitar. <laughs> trying to pick up chicks. Trying to pick up chicks <laughs> and just playing the same song over and over again to yeah. get girls. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And that's what he distinguishes tournament play versus serious study. And they did a study of chess people. There was like two ideas in the world of chess where some people thought that the tournament play of the pressure of constantly competing was what makes you a good chess player. And some thought that the serious study of looking at past games, looking at specific moves, specific instances was the way to go. And he mm. said that the people who took the serious study were like three times better than the people who just played tournaments the whole time. Mm. So how this applies to a job, if you're just doing your day-to-day grind every day, doing doing the tasks, you need to be able to step back and probably focus some of the time on professional development yes. and understanding what kind of skills you really need to develop to help you in, in, in the work, not just the day-to-day yeah, exactly. grind stuff. So they're doing your, your same stuff every day. That's like your performance. That's your tournament play. You need to step back and do that serious study. Reading books, listening to sick podcasts, yeah. and books. <laughs> halfway there. Yeah. Um, five habits of a craftsman. Mm. So the first habit you need to do is decide what capital market you're in. And there's sort of two markets, he says. There's a winner-take-all and there's an auction. So a winner-take-all is there's one specific skill that's required and so only the best at that skill gets it. Or the other is an auction where there's multiple different types of skills required and so you can sort of put together your skills and make your bid in the auction, essentially. Yeah. The second habit of the awesome craftsman is identify your capital type, which is identifying the skills you need to acquire. Yeah. So he says seek open gates. So he said getting started requires a lot more energy than keeping moving. So find one skill that once you get started moving is an open gate to the next skill that you can keep moving towards. Yep. The next one, number three, is defining good. Yeah, so obviously be so good they can't ignore you. You need to know what level you need to yep. get so to. So maybe set some goals and understand what, what might distinguish you from the rest. Yeah. And you need to be pretty much better than everyone else. Yeah. Number four, stretch and destroy. So that's like what we said. You stretch, improve, and then you destroy your previous definition of good and make a new definition of good to stretch towards. Mm. And you need to be always uncomfortable here. You yeah. know, if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably just staying at the acceptable, yes. you know, comfortable level and you're not really growing and learning into awesome new skills. Yeah. Number five, be patient. Be patient. So if you do it every day, every month, you know, every year, after a long time, you're going to look back and be amazed at some of the progress you make. Yeah. And this is, goes into a bit of like Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect. Yeah. You get real... And in The Compound effect i think he says it takes about 27 months before it to really kick in so it might take Mm. two to three years of hard work and you might you might not see the results but after a long time all of a sudden you 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 know you're so good that no one's fucking ignoring you (laughs) exactly man (laughs) so that's what we want we want the crafts and mindset in order to build career capital that we trade for these rare and valuable um job trades yeah it's good shit so the, the third rule of the book is turning down the promotion and so that's the importance of control so with can Control is one of those rare and valuable skills and it's hard to get, very hard to get. But control means control over what you do, how you do it, when you do it. And that stuff is going to make you enjoy it so much more than someone telling you exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Mm. Yep. So you spend some time in your career, you've, you've developed these awesome skills and you're really valuable to whatever industry you're in. Most people at this stage, they'll trade that into maybe 
get a higher pay rise, yep. which might mean they work harder and longer hours and yep. they might get more responsibility. Yeah. What Cal's saying is you don't necessarily need to trade it in for this. You can trade it in to get more autonomy with yep. your job. Exactly. And that's the thing is if you take that step up, so if you make the trade, then you've traded away your skill. You need to start again and build it up and you're going to be working longer, harder and have less control. Mm. Whereas if you don't take that, if you can show people that you're good, and you, you can trade it in for more control then whether that it might be one day a week working from home or it might be you block out your mornings and you don't go to meetings in the mornings because mm. that's your valuable time to do your important shit. Yeah, and even to the next level, I think in the book he has an example where some chick decides to work overseas for six months of the year. You know, So once you're valuable and they actually think you're, you're really good at what you're doing, they don't want to lose you. So exactly, you've, yeah. got, you've got the upper hand and absolute leverage in every yeah. kind of negotiation here. Yeah, exactly. There's a few traps though. So the first trap is that control requires capital. So you need to build the control, uh, build your capital first, which we talked about previously. Um, you can't just go in there and make some big calls and big demands because that's unsustainable. Yeah. So once you got the skills, you can step off the safe traditional path. You know, which Pamela Slim and everyone's saying, you know, you just get off that. It's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. don't get off that path until you've got the skills. Is what yeah. this book's about. Get good first, and then you can trade it in. Because if you get it without trading it. There's going to be questions asked, that's for sure. Yeah, what's the second trap, man? <laughs> second trap is that control generates resistance. Yeah, so when you go to your employer and you, you're good and you ask to work in Indo or whatever, you, Indonesia or overseas or have mornings off or whatever, yeah. obviously they're going to be resistant. Yeah, and because the thing is that the the moment that you're so so good that you can ask for control is the moment when they're almost reliant on you. They don't want to lose you, as you said, but yeah. that can almost be a bad thing because they think, oh, shit, he's going to take a day a week off Next will be two days a week off. Next, he's going to leave us. Yeah. So that's why there's that resistance. But your boss is the little bitch now. So yeah. and you got total <laughs> leverage. <laughs> you got total leverage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's the law of financial viability? Mate, do things that people are willing to pay for. Yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. If your passion is skiing, very, very, very few people in the world get paid to ski. And he has another example of the uh, of the book of a chick called Fleur who was in a marketing career who, again, went to trade all the career capital there and yeah. ended up doing yoga. But in real, in reality, there's hundred, hundreds of thousands of yoga instructors <laughs> yeah. you know, and not enough to, to be actually teaching people and make some kind of financial yeah. you know, career out of this. Yeah, even though she already had rare and valuable skills in marketing that people were willing to pay for, she, she fucked herself. Yeah, you'd yeah. understand what the market's really offering for any industry you're in. Yeah, exactly. And rule number four... Think small, act big. And he says that's the importance of having an overarching mission. Yeah, you can have a mission because they're powerful because if you focus all your energy toward a longer goal and it in turn maximizes your impact on the world. And if you have a really tough work week and you're going through this deliberate strain that Cal's saying you need to go through to get mastery, you can really, it, it, it can all be worth it because you know you're doing it for something bigger than yourself. Yeah. If you don't have a mission or goal, then the, the strain in the moment won't feel like it's worth it. So you won't be able to push yourself as hard yeah, like you need true. to get the skills. Now, we can't just come up with a mission at the start. So he says you've got to get good first again. You need to build that capital. And the reason is he says that, yeah, you can make up this mission first, but it will probably change over time. So he says what you need to do, get your capital by getting really good and get to like the edge of what you can do at the moment. So you get to the edge, you get to the horizon, and from the horizon, you can then see past yep. the horizon. That's where your mission is. So he calls it the adjacent possible. Hmm. Um, so it's something within your field that's slightly off, 
So you get really good, get to the edge, then you can see your mission and shift towards that mission. Mm. Yeah. In the book, he, he talks about, I forget his name because it's not in my notes here. <laughs> There's some clean tech advisor who's got this dream job where he just sits there and invests in renewable energy companies yeah. that are changing the world. But he didn't start off like that. He did yeah. the, the traditional path. He went to university, studied really hard, got HD averages, really good grades, did a PhD in something that was scarce. Yeah. And then, then he moved, and as he developed a career capital, he slowly worked in India and so forth. And then after 20 or 30 years, he was in the position where he could have this amazing career. Yeah. No, I love it, man. And so he says that some ways to find uh, your mission, um, which is like I said, the adjacent possible. I liked what he said, play some little bets. Mm. Uh, I think you said that. Maybe I'm just... He did. He did. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so place a little bet. So obviously, uh, it's a risk to just come up with one mission and say, this is my mission and go for it. Whereas it's better to place a few little bets. Yeah. Test a few different things out and see what's what's really working. And this comes up in a few books. Yeah. And we both really love this idea. You know, you're not going to invest everything into this one idea, and you, you quit your job and you put everything. It might start off as a side project, so you might have your day to day job. You do a few side projects on something yeah. that seems interesting or something you care about. Yeah, one of those might take off, and then eventually you might put all your efforts into one of these little bets you make on the side. Yeah, legendary. Little side hustles, man. They're sick. Yeah, definitely, man. And I mean, another yeah. thing about missions, they require marketing and he talks here about mm. the purple cow. So, yeah. smack us with that. Big old Seth. He says that you're either remarkable or you're invisible. So, mm. you need to do some seriously cool shit that people are willing to talk about and tell other people about because that's the best way to spread you, your mission, anything that you're doing is by other people telling someone else. Yeah, doing just the same old monotonous routine stuff. It's just boring. It's like what yeah. Seth would say is brown cows. You need to do something yeah. that's a bit like a purple cow, something different. Yeah. And then everyone, and then some people can tell other people about your remarkable thing you're doing yeah. and then it can grow. Yeah, nice. Um, anything else from you, mate? Man, that's that's it. I like it. I like it. I don't want to like it. But I do. <laughs> mate, I think this is the, probably some of the best advice for... 95% of people. Yeah. It's a, maybe, there might be 5% of people where crush it, escape their cubicle nation or whatever. Four-hour work week. Yeah, where it's just quit and Tony Robbins, <laughs> just go for it. Man, they're, they're easy but, reads because yeah. you want to be hearing that. Yeah, correct. But I think this is probably the best advice for most people. It's more truthful because you want to sit there and be told all you need to do is have the balls to quit yeah. your job and then go chase this thing. Yeah. Get off the safe path. You've just been, you know, you're... You're just conforming the status yeah. quo. Yeah, exactly. But you know there is some value in the status quo. Yeah, and you need to earn your, you know, earn the right. I get guess to get off the status quo and do Definitely. something cool. Yeah, I like it a lot, man. Man, so I actually ended up liking it so much. Did a little cheeky ten-page summary, which you can uh, get at whatyoullearn.com/slash/summary, I believe. Yeah. And mate, we've got it. We've been working slowly on like our, making our own sort of top fifty. So what we're going to do is rank sort of our favorite 50 books and like a little paragraph to a couple of paragraphs on each one to see sort of, you know, a bit of a summary, a bit of here's some awesome shit, here's some of our favorite books and here's why you should check it out. And I forget where they're at is in the top 50. I think it might be... It's about mid-20s, I reckon. Mid-20s. 23 to 26, somewhere around there. Mate, so that top 50, yeah, we've been slapping away at it and it should be ready pretty soon, I'd say. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that one. Mate, it's a... Yeah. Get the book, so good. So good. Work hard, get skills, and then trade it into the autonomy and just sip some fucking cocktails on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's where he's going with it. But oh, I don't think it is either. I, so. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but yeah, should we sing the song of the... Um, Mate, let's make a fucking so good song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're so good, they can't oh, ignore yeah. you. I've got so much to offer the world. 
to change the world for the things I can do. Rule one, don't follow your passion. Passion is dangerous. A rule to be so good that they can't ignore you. Get the craftsman mindset. I want to go and change the world even though I'm in my first fucking job. Can I change the world, boss? Yes, you can. Can I change the world? No, you fucking can. How do I change the world? Become a craftsman and make that career capital yeah, trading. It's fucking hard. I'd rather not. I'd rather go to a seminar. My name is Tony Robbins. You need to get some courage. You need to quit your job and follow your passion. Listen to Pamela Slim and escape from that cubicle nation. Make move. Okay. Hey, boss, I quit. I'm going to go find the passion. I'm going to go do yoga in India. And take mushrooms and masturbate. <laughs>